Welcome to the Church Revitalization Workshops. We've been doing these uh, since last October. My name is Doug Ressler, and I'm one of the one of the pastors that's kind of helping to facilitate these. I'm in a little town called Parker, Colorado, out south and east of Denver. And uh, I guess it's not super little anymore. It's kind of the whole Denver area is kind of nothing little about it anymore, it seems like that. But um, been at my church for about 12 years, definitely leading to revitalization work um, for a church that had gone through a kind of functionally a church split before I got here. And uh, it's been awesome to be a part of watching God bring things back together. Joining me is Mike Wright, who is at Littleton Christian Church. And he is also in the Denver area, a good friend of mine. And he leads his church uh, there more in the more towards the city. Um, Mike, you've been there for how long now? I've uh, been on staff since 2004. Yeah, I was gonna say a long, long time. And how long is since have you been the lead pastor there? Uh, 08 is when yeah, I recorded. Yeah, so so Mike's been there a while. John Mabry is joining us from down in Louisiana uh, at Covenant Presbyterian Church down there. Uh, Bryn uh, McPhail, who's normally with us, uh, he's from the Bahamas. He is on vacation, so he uh, sends his regrets and his regards uh, for us today. Uh, we are going to be talking today about um, congregational renewal. So we've, we started with kind of how, do you, how does the pastor stay revitalized? What kinds of things does the pastor do to stay revitalized? That kind of thing. Then we moved to the revitalization of the session and spent a couple of months dialoguing about the different dynamics that are in play there. Uh, and then last month, we started talking about what does congregational revitalization look like? And we talked specifically about mission. And, and missions, um, just a, mission is a sort of a vehicle for revitalization in the local church. Um, if you're familiar at all with John Piper, I love what uh, he says when he talks about worship, which we'll be talking about, what we'll be talking about today. He says, you know, mission exists, of course, because worship does not. And that the goal of missions, of course, is to bring all the nations uh, in, into uh, the worshiping life of the people before the Lord above. And so uh, worship, of course, plays a key role uh, in congregational revitalization as well. And really, each of our churches, my church, John's church, and Mike's church, uh, worship is a key component uh, for us in the revitalization of our churches as well. So we thought we'd share a little bit of our journey today with you. And then what we're going to do as we go into our breakout sessions is we've got some prompt questions to help kind of get the wheels turning and hopefully generate some good conversation um, in your breakout rooms. And so we'll, I'll make sure that we uh, offer those before we head into those breakout rooms. So I'm going to ask John to get us started um, by describing kind of the worshiping life of his community there at Covenant Presbyterian Church. And then after John is finished, Brian, I will, uh, John will throw it back to me and I'll ask those two questions that will take us then into our breakout room. So, uh, John, I'll pass the baton to you, my friend. Okay. Hey, everybody. I've scrolled through the participant uh, list and it's good to see many of you all who have been with us in the previous ones as well. As Doug said, we're talking about worship today and, and I, I'm simply sharing from my own experience and um, nothing that I say is intended to be a, um, you know, a paradigm that is imposed upon any of your congregations. I'm simply trying to share how we have, uh, what works in terms of the revitalization of our congregation and, and how we, um, and, and what that looks like. So, it begins with a conviction that corporate worship on the Lord's Day is at the very center of our life as a congregation. That, that's not just a, one of those 
mission statement statements, you know, uh, it's not just a pretty statement. It's, it's a deeply held conviction. This is what we do because this is who we are because God in his grace has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light to declare his praises. And so worship on the Lord's day uh, for us is absolutely essential and is at the center of the revitalization and ongoing vitality of our life as a congregation. So I simply want to begin with that convictional statement and follow up with some statements about intentionality. Now, I've been at Covenant since uh, Monroe, Louisiana since 2010, and I, I was not the pastor that brought them into the EPC from the Peace USA. They came without a pastor, and I was the first pastor, first EPC pastor for the congregation, but they are a former PCUSA congregation, and I know many of you all in previous sessions have come with that background as well. You may have therefore come with a basic order of worship that is at least along the major lines familiar with, uh, you know, familiar in uh, PCUSA churches. And it comes from Calvin's service, Geneva service for the Lord's Day, at least in very broad outline. And it's biblical, and it is the model that we still use. I don't really like the term, you know, traditional versus contemporary. I just, I just say historic reformed worship. But nevertheless, um, it, it follows an outline, and Mike's got a really good diagram that he's going to show in a minute. So I don't want to say too much about this, but there is a theologic to it. And it basically, ours basically follows the outline of Isaiah 6. We, I I, I began by teaching the congregation that when we, when we go to church, as we say, we are going to heaven. Mm -hmm. um, the letter to the Hebrews in chapters, uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 2 and following, uh, addresses the new covenant people of God, the new covenant Israel, and um, it tells us that um, you have not come to what may be touched, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, mm -hmm. verses 22 and following. But my point there is saying is really impressing upon the people that if they come in faith, when we come in faith and seeking to worship the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in the communion of the Spirit, that we are, we are entering God's presence, as the Psalms call us to. I can feel I'm getting ready to preach a sermon that's too long, Doug, but... Um, <laughs> You know, the Psalms call us into the presence of God. And I really challenge the people. Do you believe that? Yeah. So if you believe it, let's act like it. So we would go through, you know, our very traditional order of worship. And I taught Sunday school. This is how I got at it. I had a little church, 60 people. And I just said, we're not going to mumble anymore. Right? 
Sing a new song, sing a new song to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth. We're not going to mumble the responsive. We're not going to mumble the call to worship. We're going to say it like we sing it. We're not going to mumble the Apostles' Creed. We're not going to mumble the corporate prayer of confession, right? So we were just very intentional. And I know it sounds crazy, sounds absolutely crazy, but we practiced worship during the Sunday school hour. Hmm. And just like we were doing choir rehearsal hmm. to get the people engaged. And I want, at one point I said, you know, it's a dead church that the call to worship. And somebody raised his hand. He said, you know, we really do. We know how to be a dead church, right? That's where we were. That's an honest to goodness comment. Mm -hmm. So um, I was trying to be very, very intentional. Why do we do what we do when we do it in corporate worship? So whatever your order of worship is, and, you know, I would encourage you to, to look at it, and I assume that it has a theologic of moving from praise, adoration, confession, assurance, proclamation of the word, and response to that word. And Mike's going to show you that a little bit more. But people need to know why they are doing what they are doing when they are doing it in worship. And that we're not just kind of going through and doing these little things because this is how we do it because it's the way we've always done it. And I've literally seen people that just the light bulbs just explode in people's brains. People who have been doing reformed worship for 60 years and never had an idea what they were doing. Right. And then they came alive simply by being taught and then entered into it. So that now, for example, it's not uncommon for, for people to tell me, you know, and get this, this is this is Protestants, right? Presbyterians, reform, who tell me that the confession of sin and hearing the declaration of pardon and singing a response of praise after that is the most meaningful thing in the world. They cannot wait to hear me say, in Jesus' name, I give you his promise, your sins are forgiven. Hmm. So that's just been the revitalization of worship for us. Mm -hmm. It hadn't been doing something different Right. It's been doing what we've been doing differently. Yeah. And I'd like to say in spirit and in truth, because people now understand what it is, at least a little bit more, what it is to be a corporate congregation gathered for worship at the Lord's call to come into his presence, sing his praise hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, be fed with his word. And, and then we say, as did Isaiah, in response to that word, here am I, send me. And in and, and the various ways in which we do that. So that's what we do. That's, um, that's what has actually brought a lot of revitalization, not only to the worship service itself, but 
Um, I mean, that's at the core of the revitalization of Covenant Presbyterian EPC in Monroe, Louisiana over the last 10 years. And it, it really is, it's, it's, it's who we are, so it's what we do. Mm. I, let me just play off that last part. Thank you so much, Jim, for that. I think you might you might have kind of when you hear start to hear worship, you know, I think a lot of us our immediate response is to think technique, is to think maybe style of music or style of dress or style of this or style of that. One of the things you're not going to hear today is any of that, <laughs> because all three of us have very different styles of worship in our congregations, and all three of us, if you were to walk into any of our churches, you would probably have a a very different experience in some ways, but then a very similar experience in some ways, because all three of us bring the kind of intentionality that John's talking about to our worship expressions. And so it's really not about um, a technique, but really about, I think that last statement that John made, that's really, really good. Who, what we do should flow from who we are. And if you teach your people who they are in worship before the living God, then the worshiping life of the community will become expressed in whatever form it comes in it'll it'll, it'll just it'll, it'll it'll come alive in so many ways and so thank you for that john yeah you want to add well, more things? just yeah one one yeah. thing i mean it, it, you can call it contemporary mm -hmm. you can call it traditional doesn't matter right but what matters is it's god-centered mm -hmm. in any style venue whatever amen if we want to revitalize worship, we've got to focus on the God who is life. Mm. Amen. Yeah, that's awesome, John. Thank you for that. Um, so we're going to go into our breakout sessions now. And Bryn, or Brian, give us about 25 minutes if you can. There are two questions we want you to begin dialoguing about. Um, the first one is this. Uh, and, and don't worry, your facilitators will repeat these once we get into the breakout room. So John and, and Mike, make sure to, to kind of repeat these and follow these up, all right? In what ways is it explicitly evident that your worship services are rooted in and guided by Scripture? In other words, how does your worship service exemplify biblical worship, all right? How does your worship service exemplify biblical worship? And then the second question is, how is your congregation encouraged to prepare for worship on the Lord's Day each week? Um, and that's, of course, a nod to the reality that uh, worship begins with preparation. It begins by what they're doing at home. And, and how are they getting ready that morning? Is there, Are they coming ready for an experience with God and an expectation that they're going to meet him? Or are they just rushing in, like barely hanging on? That'll change their worship experience. So those two things. In what ways... Is it explicitly evident that your worship services are rooted in and guided by scripture? And how is your congregation encouraged to prepare for worship on the Lord's day each week? Brian, can you take us away? All right. I think we are coming back in Let's see if uh, I'm not, haven't seen Mike Wright yet. I see John there. Mike, are you here? Oh, there he is. There's Mike. He's waving at me. Mike, unmute yourself there. Uh, as I said, um, each one of our worship services at either Parker EPC, where I'm at, or Lilton Christian, where Mike's at, or Covenant, where John is at, does worship a little different. Um, and Mike is going to walk you through kind of how they do worship at Lilton Christian Church. But I do think the similarity that you're going to find is that it's done with the same intentionality, uh, which is to usher God's people into God's presence. And so, Mike, you want to walk us through how you guys do worship there at Littleton Christian, and then we'll have a couple of, uh, again, questions to kind of as prompts as we head into our breakout session. Yeah, great. Thanks, Doug. 
Uh, well, hey everyone, uh, it's great to be with you all. And um, yeah, as I get into this, um, you know that I've been uh, wrestling with the uh, temptation to say, well, there's nothing sacred about this, but I, that's actually not true. We of course believe that the organization of our worship services is a sacred thing and we need to treat this as sacred. Um, so I just, let's recognize a few things. Uh, pastors, the Sunday worship gathering is probably the thing you spend the most time and effort on. It's uh, especially if you're the, the primary preacher in your congregation, that's probably the biggest chunk of your work time in a given week. Uh, for all of us who are church leaders, the sort of feel of a Sunday worship service is probably the most basic um, measure that we use for how our church is doing. Um, a lot of a lot of us rise and fall emotionally on how many people showed up to worship, what the worship service felt like, how the sermon went, how the music went, uh, etc. Um, you know whether it seemed like people's lives were transformed. Uh, for um, those of us who are like a Littleton Christian Church, who are in a community that has a lot of vital, um, biblical, gospel-centered churches across various denominations or independent churches, that's certainly the case in, uh, in my town. Um, the deal is your worship service for the for the Christians in town who are trying to figure out which church is their home church, the worship service is the, that's the big thing that they're con comparing and contrasting between different churches. Do they, you know, how do they connect to the preaching? What do they think of the music, et cetera, et cetera. Now, of course, there are other things that really matter with that, but that's why this conversation is, is related to the revitalization question because um, no matter how else we describe it, it's likely that we're determining whether or not our church has vitality based on what's happening when the church comes together on Sunday. So in a minute, I'm going to go through uh, the sort of format that we use at Littleton Christian Church. Um, a lot of thought, prayer, Bible study, etc. went into this process. Um, and, uh, and we love it. It's really important to us. It does support the life, the vitality of our congregation. It has not been a um, silver bullet that has made us the fastest growing church in Littleton. We are, uh, as far as churches here in this town, we, you know, we're part of South Metro Denver, where there's a ton of great churches. Well, we're a small church. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, that I, I think my role on this revitalization team is to say vitality and church size, you know, they are related, but they're, they're distant relatives. Um, and, uh, and I think often my church is vitalized, not all the time, but often. So um, a little bit about how we got to the process that I'm about to share with you. One, for many years, our congregation has said, we want the description of the church as presented in Romans chapter 12 to uh, 
um, reflect our church or rather uh, the other way around. We want our church to look progressively more and more like the congregation that is described in Romans 12. If we look, if you read that chapter and say, oh, that reminds me of Littleton Christian Church, hallelujah, that's what we're after. And at the very beginning of Romans 12, of course, is the, the famous uh, bit there, therefore, this is, this is the New English translation. Um, therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. There's a few things there that I want to connect here to this conversation about our, our worship service. One, the grammar at the beginning of that passage is really important. Paul, it's either bad grammar or really intentional grammar. Paul says, present your bodies, plural, that's each individual body, as a living sacrifice. So that implies that we are coming together and what we do together is where we are presenting our bodies in order to be not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. Second, that idea of being transformed, uh, at, we've thought a lot about that. And, and at our particular church, we've been informed greatly by James K.A. Smith. This is kind of the simplest version of his uh, philosophy around how, um, how the church forms people. This is called, you are what you love. But he suggests that the, the rhythms and habits of a church gathering are the things that will form a congregation the most over time. Not, you know, I mean, uh, great sermons and great songs are a part of that, but the big overall shape and rhythm is what shapes us. It's just like a workout routine. If you do a set routine that, you know, covers all the parts of your body repeatedly, you know, three times a week over a number of years, that will quite literally shape your body. Well, we believe that the shape of our service, the things that we do by routine on purpose will shape us as a congregation. So that's one part of who we are. Personally, um, passages that have uh, transformed my own approach to worship are the scenes in the gospels where Jesus gathers his disciples gives them authority and then sends them out. And that helps me think about what, you know, what is happening in worship. That's the beginning of Luke 9. That's in uh, Mark 3, 13 to 15. Jesus calls the 12 together, gives them authority over unclean spirits and sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And that helped to re reframe what I thought of as an effective worship service, rather than rising and falling based on how many people showed up each week, I started thinking in terms of how does this gathering contribute to our receiving from Christ and our freedom in Christ that we can receive ourselves and share with our community? How is this gathering contributing to gospel freedom. So 
All that being said, now I'll, uh, I'll take you through kind of the shape that we came up with to help guide our worship service. Um, so Brian, you can go ahead and, uh, and put up this, um, this thing. Um, this is the very height of my um, graphic design ability. So um, I'm sure this could be done way better, but this is the shape of our worship service. I take our church through this um, about once a year, uh, typically right around um, the, the first of the year, uh, the first Sunday of the year. So uh, as you can see around the outside, those, those blue boxes, we see sort of four movements that happen when the body is gathered together in worship. So the downward is that we're humbled, we're brought low as we encounter God's holiness. That arrow from right to left across the bottom is the inward, we're, we're drawn in, we're empowered by God's kindness to confess and repent. The, the upward is that we're lifted to God through Christ's perfect work. That's really the celebration of the core of the gospel. And then the outward, the from left to right, is that we're empowered by the Spirit's grace to be and make disciples. So, um, so think of the call to worship as being called from out to in. So we're being called in. That's why our my circle starts in the middle. That's the call to worship, being called from out to in. So then we start that first downward movement. We encounter God. So we think of that. That's the purpose of our songs, of the, the hymns and songs that we sing together, is to encounter God. That brings us into um, uh a confrontation of our own sin in contrast to his glory, which leads us to a confession of sin. We always have a time of silence after the confession of sin. That's a really critical part of our uh, worship service. My three-year-old doesn't quite grasp that it's a time to be quiet, but um, that's fine. So after the confession, that's when the assurance comes. Uh, at, our, at our church, it's always one of our ruling elders who gives the assurance of pardon, and they almost always say something along the lines of, not only am I assuring you with the grace and love of Christ, but these words are meant for you to use as ministers of the gospel. You can assure one another that you have been forgiven. So this it's supposed to be practice and we, we present it like that. So um, it's really important to us that we don't call for the offering until after that first set of activities um, that we have experienced sort of a, the, a, a, in short form, the, the fullness of the good news that we didn't pay for. We did nothing to earn it. We showed up and God did this for us. And out of that, we respond um, in our offering. Um, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's part of our gratitude for what God has done. We think of part of our sending, an initial sending, is announcements. Uh, we, we do announcements in the form of this is an invitation into the activity of the life of the church. All right, so we're pretty intentional about what and how we share our announcements. They're part of being sent. And then our first literal physical sending is that in that first cycle has had the whole church together, uh, youngest to oldest, from from zero to 99, we don't, we don't have anyone over 100 at our church, um, but a, a few that are close. Um, so right there is when we send off kids. And for parents, that's, that's practice. They're going, to, they're going to send their kids out, you know, 
God willing, as ministers of the gospel. So we see them leave. In fact, in our church, we have two different buildings, literally. Um, so the kids go to the other building. Uh, the time of greeting um, is part just uh, the way to deal with the chaos when people are leaving. It's it's just a brief connection. The, the better greeting is before and after the service. So we start the whole cycle over again with the doxology. That's our encounter with God. And that goes right into the reading of the scripture. And the reading of, this, of God's word um, is uh, a beautifully holy moment for our church. Uh, it's somber, it's quiet, it's, uh, and after we've heard the word and responded to it, thanks be to God, we are silent again. And that's the longest section of silence in our service. Um, sometimes I let it stretch on for, for a minute or a minute and a half, which um, you all know makes people really uncomfortable. That feels like an eternity in a worship service. Uh, and right before we do that silence, we pray along the lines, Lord, speak to us about your word, believing that he'll speak to individual hearts about individual situations that may or may not you know, fit with what they're about to hear in the sermon. So then, of course, the sermon is another sort of group confession. That's where we're confronting the sin and bondage that are exposed by the passage that we've just heard. And we're presenting Christ as the hero to every problem that we experience. At our, at our church, the whole service is built around the Lord's Supper. Um, so we do communion every week. Um, that shift we made about seven years ago, and it has been, um, it's been a game changer for us. It's really made the table, the centerpiece and the climax of our service. Uh, it has not made communion get old or rote. In fact, it has made it uh, deeper and richer for, for everyone in our congregation. Um, so the sermon bridges to communion. I'm the primary preacher of my church. And, you know, people say, um, do you guys do an altar call? Do you, you know, do you do application? I say, yeah, I call people to the table every week. And the application is right there where they come and receive Christ. So whether or not there's other applications, um, the Lord's Supper is our primary application. We come empty handed to the table and we receive together. So um, just before communion, generally all of our kids come back from the other uh, building and some of the kids, you know, based on um, the process that they've gone through are able to participate in communion and some are not. Um, that's a whole other thing uh, with me and, and my presbytery uh, that I won't get into right now. But, um, but yeah, so communion is really a climax of our service and we want the whole church to be there uh, to at least witness it so that it's evoking questions between parents and kids um, and, and creating a desire uh, for Christ to come together at that moment. We respond to the to commun communion with uh, with a longer set of, you know, two or three songs of worship. In the midst of that, there's ministry offered. Elders are available to pray with people. And then we finish with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we treat the uh, that, that statement, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as really a preparation for the sending. This is 
Lord, let that be what we are participating in as we go out into the world. So after the Lord's Prayer, that's when we have the benediction and our sending. So as you can see, we practice it twice. Think of it in terms of working out. You know, if you have pull-ups as part of your workout routine, this is two sets of pull-ups, all right? The first cycle is sort of a complete picture of the gospel, those four movements. And then we do it again, a complete picture of the gospel in those four movements. Thanks, uh, so, Mike. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, that's awesome, Mike. And um, for those of you who are wondering, Mike's services are six and a half hours in length. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, no, I mean, that that does play a part, as we all know, in, in how we do that. And Mike, what would you say the length of your services are typically on a Sunday? Uh, about um, 75, 80 minutes. That's what I was That's what I was thinking, was somewhere in that neighborhood. And so um, that, that plays a role in that. Thank you, Mike, so much for walking us through that whole thing. We're going to move into our breakout rooms now. And here are the two questions as you guys move in. Um, one, what is the overall purpose of a typical Sunday service at your church? Like, do you and your elders have in mind what it is that you're trying to accomplish Sunday in and Sunday out? What it is you're what are you trying to lead your people into? Um, and then number two, what are your favorite and least favorite parts of a typical Sunday service? And why does your church maintain those elements? And if you're if you're a ruling elder and your teaching elder is in your breakout room, don't say the sermon is your least uh, favorite part, but uh, just a little clue there. But uh, yeah, so we'll move into our breakout rooms. Brian, go ahead and do that for us. And we'll spend about 25 minutes again, Brian, uh, doing that. All right. Welcome back, friends. Um, hopefully you're having some great dialogue. We're having some great dialogue in our breakout about worship. Um, and hopefully it's been fruitful for you guys, giving you some good takeaways. So um just to kind of share with you a little bit in brief where my church is at, then we'll jump back into our breakout rooms before we close out um, this, this particular workshop today. Um, so my church uh, is, like I said, it's over kind of by Mike's church, but we're a little south and east of Denver. Uh, he's more towards the city. And one of the things that we, um, we do is when I first got here, one of the things that we did was we really did a lot of internal work to decide uh, really prayerfully decide, like, who, who is God calling us to be? Um, and so we, we eventually landed, that's a long story, but eventually landed on some, some fundamental values. We're biblical, we're relational, we're intergenerational, and we're missional. Those four values sort of form everything that we are, everything that we do. And so one of the very first things after we landed on those four values that we looked at was, okay, does our worship expression is that an extension of our values? Does it actually reflect who we are? And we decided that that was not the case. So when I first got here, we had sort of what I would call, they called it a, like a traditional and a contemporary service. I would not have called their traditional traditional. It's all, it's all depends on where you come from, of course, your frame of reference. It was more older contemporary and newer contemporary is kind of how I would have framed, um, you know, most of their, you know, traditional music came from like the 1950s and 60s. Um, and so what we did was, what, what, what functionally we had was, you know, two different congregations, one younger, one older, all that kind of stuff. And because we had really, we really landed on this belief that God was calling us to be an intergenerational church, we decided to completely overhaul both services. We went to one service, we do it twice on a Sunday morning, and um, it is intentionally intergenerational. And we actually build the worship service from the ground up every single week. We take all of the elements 
of reform worship that we've talked about today, right? Calling people to worship, uh, confession, proclamation, sealing, sending, like all of that, all of those elements of reform worship, we, we still sort of fall broadly under those categories, but the elements themselves, songs, liturgy, prayer, um, you know, uh, all of that kind of stuff takes a completely different shape or form depending on the week and depending on what it is we're trying to do um, in the space. I just got done sharing, you know, uh, we were talking about in my breakout, the public reading of God's word, for example. And we went through the Gospel of Luke a couple of years ago, and it was a night, we went through it, we took a year and a half to go through the Gospel of Luke. And rather than have the public reading of God's word, meaning someone standing up there with a microphone actually reading the verses, what we did was we showed the Lumo videos out of the Bible app, which all they are is the Gospel of Luke, that's all it is. And, and, it, and yet it, it gave people, uh, made the scriptures really come alive as they got to sort of see what it might have looked like as, you know, Jesus is telling the parables, as he's walking through life with his disciples, all of those kinds of things. We actually showed those videos throughout that Gospel of Luke section, and that really was our, you know, uh, public reading of the word. And in that way, the element itself kind of came alive in a new and fresh way for our folks. It was really powerful. So we, we're, we're trying to do different things like that in an effort to intentionally bridge the generational gap in our congregation, because the community that I live in is is not very ethnically diverse. We're about 90, 90% white, but the diversity that we do have is generational. We have, we have a very diverse age range that call Parker home. And, um, and so we want to reflect our community. We believe we were planted here for a purpose. We're planted here to reach our community and our community has this generational diversity. So we as a church should reflect that generational diversity ourselves. And we should uh, intentionally seek to worship together as an intergenerational uh, a group. Now that requires something from us. And so one of our big, one of our big things um, that we talk about frequently around here is that um, if you come to worship at Pepsi, uh, you're going to have to die a little. Everybody's going to have to die to self a little um, because we're not going to play to preference. We're not going to play to style. We're not going to play to any of that. Like we just intentionally don't do that. Um, we don't have quotas of how many hymns we're going to sing versus how many contemporary songs, any of those kinds of things. Again, we just rebuild worship from the ground up every week, trying to have this broad view in mind and our congregation in mind and different elements are gonna appeal to different generations. And, and what we say to our folks is that, yeah, like you, you may have certain parts of the service that you really like and groove to and other parts that you don't. And when you, when you run into those parts that are really, maybe, maybe it feels really stiff and traditional to you, or maybe it feels way too contemporary to you, um, we just wanna encourage you that that's, that's the point at which now God is calling you to die to self and really engage for the sake of those around you. Um, and that has really worked for our folks. That has really been a very special thing for our people. They have really grabbed, initially, of course, it created all kinds of, you know, upheaval and a little bit of, you know, frustration and tension, but we managed it well. We led through it well. We didn't, we were humble about it. We weren't, you know, again, we, we weren't shaking, wagging our fingers at anybody, telling them they were ungodly if they didn't agree with us or anything like that. We just said, this is what we believe God was calling us to do. And as we've done that, it's been really powerful to watch this environment get shaped um, where different generations now can come and worship together. And so it is, it is actually very common for us to have, you know, three generations of a family worshiping together in, you know, in our worshiping space, which is awesome. You know, grandparents with grandkids and parents, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we're really, really grateful for that. And um, that's one of the ways in which we evaluate our worship service, like how effective are we? We're asking the question week over week, did everybody have to die last week? 
or or did we put the burden too much on one generation over another? I mean, that's a real important question for us to ask week over week. So that's that's a piece for us. Um, the other thing too is that um, again, as I said, one of our core values is biblical. We we are a biblical church. So when I first got here, it was mainly topical preaching. And over the years since I've been here, we have definitely moved to expository. We just pick a book of the Bible, go verse by verse through it. And that for us has really been um, a key thing for us as well, as we've tried to live out of our, our values of who we are. Our, our worship service is also highly relational in that we expect people to engage one another in worship. One of the ways we evaluate music, for instance, is does the congregation sing? Is the congregation's voice the loudest voice in the room? Because that participation, that congregational participation is critical for us because we want it to be relational. We want people to hear one another singing. We have a passing of the peace, a greeting time in our worship service because it is relational. And even in my sermons, you know, I, I can get going and, you know, I, I, again, I, I was trained under African-American preachers. So I often will require people to say amen to me and all that kind of stuff. And I'll kind of poke fun at them if we do. And so we have this dialogue that kind of goes back and forth a little bit, even in my preaching. And, um, and again, it's that relational element that's constantly being lifted up throughout. And then, of course, uh, you know, as we leave our service, we want to sit. We are very intentional, whether it's in the sermon, as the sermon's being closed out or the benediction or whatever it may be, that we are sending God's people out into mission. And so that, again, that missional component. And so really those four core values of who we are really informs and gives us an evaluative grid um, by which we're able to really determine how effective are we in worship. Um, and that keeps us from falling into that trap of, you know, determining our effectiveness, as I think Mike said earlier, by, you know, butts in the seats or, you know, how much money was put in the offering or, you know, that kind of stuff that we can kind of get hung up on uh, week after week after week. Now, I will tell you that for sure, taking this approach has cost us as a church. I'm quite confident that if we did the traditional contemporary service, our church would maybe be 30 to 40 percent larger than it is. Mm. And we have intentionally said that that's not going to be our thing. Now, we're a pretty large church, but um, and we have people, visitors that come all the time. And the number one question they ask is, hey, are you guys ever going to do a traditional service or are you guys ever only going to do a contemporary service? And we tell them that's the number one question we get. And we say no all the time. And so a lot of our visitors choose to go to churches that either do only traditional or only contemporary, you know, and we have just said um, right up front, that's just not who we are. And so, um, so you just got to understand there's going to be a cost to some of this as well as you, as you kind of are, again, seeking to be true to yourself. Every church is different. There's not one way to do church. There's not one way to worship. We all know that. And so for my money, though, churches that really have a strong sense of self and then worship their worship is an expression of that sense of self before the Lord. Boy, that is really where it gets exciting. And there's a lot of energy in that's unleashed, I think, by the Spirit as he's engaging among his people on, on a Sunday morning. And so that's why we do what we do. So we're going to move into our breakout sessions. Um, and these are the two questions for you as you move in and we kind of finalize things. And Brian, we'll maybe do, um, maybe do 15 minutes of a breakout this last one, and we'll come back and kind of wrap up with a couple of minutes of closing comments. But the two questions for your breakout session are this. Number one, how do you evaluate the effectiveness of your worship? What are the metrics that you are looking for? And then number two, does your worship cost you anything? Does your worship cost you anything? 
there's not a right or wrong there. It's just, does it cost you anything? And can you articulate what that is? So Brian, go ahead and send us out into our breakout rooms if you can one last time. Thanks friends. All right. Uh, hopefully uh, your breakout sessions were helpful. I'm sure John and Mike um, had a lot of uh, good stuff to share as they followed up on their sessions. And um, I just want to encourage you. I know our, our kind of last session there kind of got cut off Emma. So I apologize for that, but um Feel free to email any of us with further questions. Feel free to reach out um, and, and chat with us. You can either get in touch with us through Brian, or if you just want to write down my email, it's just doug at pepc.org. Um, happy to help facilitate any of those conversations. We're always available or do our best to be available. And we'd love to, love to chat further if you guys have the opportunity to do that. But um, just want to reinforce as we're finishing up this time, um, you know, the, 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 what something Mike said that worship is right. It's what we spend most of our time on probably as ministers. It's what we spend most of our time thinking about if we're ruling elders as God's people gather, how do we usher them into the presence of God? And, uh, and so let's, I just want to encourage you as you're thinking about church revitalization, that's got to be where it begins. You have the best opportunity to help your church revitalize. And of course, revitalization is not something that really on some level we like manufacture. It is something that happens as we encounter the living God. It, it, just, it just does, friends. And so go with that encouragement that as all the effort that you're putting in, the Bible says none of it is in vain. None of it is lost because, because the Lord himself is involved in it. And, uh, and so I just want to assure you with that, keep pressing in. If you want to have further conversations, if we can be a further encouragement to you, please let us know how we can serve you. Um, just know that we love and are praying for you guys along the way. And we'll have one more of these in May, at the end of May. And it's really going to be um, a time for you to ask a lot of questions. Um, we'll probably do very, not as much of the, you know, plenary kind of speaking stuff, but really more, a lot more time in breakout room, just for some final conversations as you think back, those of you who's been with us all year, what's really been good about this, what's been challenging, what's been helpful, all of those kinds of things. We want to have some of that dialogue with you as well. And that'll help our, our denomination too, as they think through how they best support and nurture this conversation around revitalization, knowing that there's so many churches in our, in our denomination that are, are really wrestling with it. So just go with the Lord. God bless you. We'll see you next month. All right. Take care now.